Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome in and good morning. It is Inside the Clubhouse with me, Matt Spiegel, and him. He is Bruce Levine. We're here for the next 90 minutes or so. The playoffs are in full swing. The Brewers may never lose again. They've won 10 in a row. And there were four games yesterday, two American League games today. No Cubs or White Sox action, but plenty to talk about, Bruce. Absolutely. We're going to talk Chicago Cubs, Chicago White Sox, playoffs, everything baseball that exists for you, the Chicago baseball fan. And our number, of course, is 312-644-6767. Text Matt at 6711 with all your cogent thoughts. He will Put put out what's uh, available to do legally on the radio. <laughs> and uh, by the way, Matt. Yes, sir. Inside the Clubhouse brought to you by Max and Benny's, your fall destination for the best restaurant, deli, and bakery experience in Chicagoland. It's time to enjoy the best homemade soups, chicken noodle, matzo ball, crepe glock, sweet and sour cabbage, and a vegetarian special soup every day. Dinners from 4 to 9 p.m., seven days a week. Chicken breast and freshest white fish. And, and salmon each night, maxandbennies.com. Build your own salad bar. Build your own Sunday bar. All a part of the great experience at Max and Benny's. 30 minutes from downtown, 30 minutes from the Wisconsin border. Love you some Max and Benny's in Northbrook. Love you some off-season playoff baseball for the first time since 2014 without a Chicago team in it. Obviously, the Cubs were there for one day, if you count that, Matt. But I it, think we. I think it, you do. It's technically it a did, playoff it game. It didn't feel like it, did it? No, it sure didn't. The whole year felt um, it felt very awkward. And then I think what ends up being emblematic for me, Bruce, is that they never really celebrated even making the playoffs. They kind of they did a, that private little toast. Apparently, at one time they took a shot of something, but they kept waiting to celebrate that division title. And instead, the Brewers stepped up and took it. So it is technically a fourth street fourth straight postseason trip for the first time in the history of the franchise, but it feels I, like a failure. I think what they needed was a shot of adrenaline. That's uh, that's what they needed. Uh, the offense, something we'll talk about in the show. We'll talk to you about it again. 312-644-6767. Sox, Cubs, everything baseball talk. But Matt, um, Theo Epstein had his State of the Union address uh, to the media for 71 minutes on uh, Thursday uh, he touched on just about everything uh, that a Cub fan could possibly be interested in be, be in. And the the number one thing, let's start out with uh, Joe Madden. Joe Madden got a vote of confidence, yes, but no. Let's, uh, let's listen to Theo talk about Joe Madden and uh, whether or not he's going to be around for another year and past that. This hour on the score is brought to you by Grandview Homes. Grandview will buy your home today. Go to grandviewhomes.com. That's Theo on Joe Madden. And he says, I'm looking forward to Joe coming back next year. That's it. That's it. I mean, this is the you need to, I mean, is it me reading too much into it? Or is it just saying we're going to take it one year at a time from now on? Which is 
it's not the worst thing in the world. You have an accomplished manager that has averaged 95 wins a year. This is a disappointing year for them, uh, not advancing toward the past the wild card. Last year was disappointing, not advancing past uh, the NLCS. I think in Theo Epstein, Matt, you have the combination of a young, smart executive that has been accomplished beyond most people's wildest dreams and also a George Steinbrenner-type mentality. And the George Steinbrenner mentality is we don't care about making the playoffs. We're supposed to make the playoffs. We are the best team in baseball. We expect to win the World Series every year. And I think from the philosophy of old uh, front offices in Chicago uh, for decades and decades and decades. Remember, was, remember Ed Lynch saying, I just want to play important games right, in September? Right. That, that's, right. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point that you bring up. The idea that Epstein believes anything short of a World Series appearance is a failure and that everybody, including himself, and uh, Jed Hoyer and Jason McLeod are going to be held accountable and that the conversations that are going on now since Wednesday are not going to be all that comfortable. The fact, despite the fact that they won 95 games and have been to the playoffs four times in a row for the first time in the franchise history. I think it, there's a lot there, Bruce. It, it's remarkable and I think Cubs fans realize, and I think everybody does, uh, but what kind of communicator you have in Theo Epstein who just sits there and is comfortable talking about any subject uh, just you know, off, off the top of his head, comfortably discussing and taking accountability for his own bad signings in the offseason, which he did, and the offense being broken and trying to figure out exactly what is wrong. He, uh, they're going to dissect every little thing, and they already have been and, uh, and have begun. And things are going to change. We'll see what they are. We'll see which players go. We'll see if some, you know, some of the assistant coaches go. But things are going to change in terms of approach, in terms of what they think they need to do. And that is a relief in and of itself. They're not sitting on their hands. In terms of Joe, um, it's rare, but it does happen that you let a manager or a head coach go into his final year, into that lame duck season, um, and I think it makes all the sense in the world in this in this moment here for Joe because look he's done a terrific job overall it's it's inarguable but this team has looked a little bit listless a little bit lifeless and he spoke about the lack of urgency and in the end that kind of thing is on the manager so why extend it when you're not exactly sure I, I what know, you're going to get next I year I don't necessarily agree with you that it's on the manager I think that there are. 25 to 40 major league players that walk through those doors on a given year. And I believe that the responsibility is on the, on the players. Well, it's, uh, it's both. I mean, these are, we talk about cub players and Sox players sometimes like they're minor leaguers. We talk to them about, we talk about them as still developing, which they are, but the responsibility to be able to stay at this level and the responsibility to do the work every day is incumbent upon these guys. Now, mm-hmm. is there not enough pressure on these players on a daily basis to retain their jobs as starting players, to retain their jobs as major league players, because there's nothing pushing them from the minor league level? That That is certainly possible. Um, I but- mean, is, is there a... Is there a entitlement program in Major League Baseball? Not just with the White Sox and Cubs, but the fact that, yes, you can come to the Major Leagues 
uh, let's take Ian Half for an example. You can come to the major leagues in one year, and you can have a, a over 800 uh, OPS, and you can have 24 home runs. And next year you can come and you have 15, and your OPS is less, uh, but you're still getting on base. Is there is there not the pressure to get better for players like Ian Happ? Uh, there should be, and but there is this sense of entitlement that you're talking about with these guys, and Theo admitted it since they won it in 2016, and as they're sitting there with a five-game lead uh, in, in the division, and they think it's just, well, yeah, eventually we're going to win the division, and then eventually they didn't. Yes, of course it's on the players, but when you're dealing with these kind of um, minuscule amounts of change, of, of incremental urgency, and and that little focus and edge every day. It is partially on the manager as his job is to create that atmosphere. And I think Joe does a great job, but messages do get old. No matter, even if they're the right message, I, I agree. And it, I agree. even if they're a good message, Joe's message of relentless positivity and simple logic and and trying to stay calm and stay in the moment and and peace and I, like i love it and, 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 and I not get having it. to take bp every day not having to take bp every day and just like don't worry guys no you got it you know who you are we'll show up tomorrow it happens hey we meet loafed him took two out of three it's sensible and it works but at a certain point if you have a group that has become just a little bit entitled they need to be smacked in the ass a little bit. And Joe's never had to be a guy that I, does uh, that. Matt, I asked uh, Joe probably the end of July, what is the shelf life for a manager in Major League Baseball? And I think he came up with the answer of uh, seven years, seven or eight years. With uh, one team? With one, one team. Spot. With one team. Which is probably, with all, if, if everything works out right, that's probably going to be Joe's tenure. It's probably going to be seven to eight years. You think he's going to get got, those seven to eight? Well, he's he's going to have five uh-huh. after next year. If he makes it through next year, it's five, right? But he's not getting the extension well, that you not, would ordinarily today, give a guy with, with one year left. Right, but, but he's also the highest paid manager going into next year in baseball at $6 million. There's there's a situation where how uh, how do we move on with the manager who's making the most money, who's the most accomplished over the last four years, and uh, what is proper for a 65-year-old manager moving forward as to what we want, what he wants, what's good for the organization. A lot of things to consider. Mm-hmm. And I think from Joe's perspective, I think he's as open to staying or moving on as they are. I really do. You think he's I, I don't think it's one of those, I have to be with the Chicago Cubs. I don't think so. He's made enough money. He's accomplished a lot of things already. Um, he wouldn't want for another job, I don't think, if he wanted it. Hey, hey the Angels are available. That's the organization he came maybe, up Maybe in. the Dodgers as well. How about a trade? For Dave Roberts? Yeah. <laughs> the first, a straight-up manager-for-manager trade? It hasn't been done since 1960. So uh, a straight manager trade, we could see that happen. But Dave Roberts looks pretty strong right now with a 2-0 lead in the playoffs. And uh, looking like they're going to have a uh, confrontation with the Milwaukee Brewers for the NLCS. 312-644-6767. He's Matt Spiegel. I'm Bruce Levine. This is Inside the Clubhouse. This is your gift in the offseason and ours too. Because we get to talk to you about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. Every Saturday, normally from 9 to 11. Today, 9 to 10.30. Then Illini football uh, follows that. But... uh, in the meantime, uh, Matt, let's uh, let's hit some of those phone lines and 
talked to some of the people about uh, Madden, the Cubs, White Sox talk always open here as well. 312-644-6767 as Joe Madden goes into the final year and Theo spoke on everything over the course of 71 minutes. This is Sid in Evanston. Sid, you're on the score. Good morning. Hey, uh, Bruce. Hey, Matt. Uh, great conversation. Glad you guys opened up with the uh, the press conference because there was so much there. I'm just curious to get your all's impressions because I was at game 163 and that was a microcosm of lack of production. And Theo kind of referenced it in his press conference. You know, something got broken and he said they had some theories. Do you guys have any idea of what you think that is? Yeah, well, I think he alluded to it. And, and thanks for your call, Sid. Uh, he alluded to the fact that, uh, in his mind, launch angle was the problem in the second half of the year, and that home runs have to be a part of the Cub offense, and that the, you know, the disconnect for him was that there was a forty nine point five percent ratio of ground balls in the second half for outs by the Chicago Cubs. This was this is unacceptable to him. They let all baseball. Yep. In ground ball outs, so this is this is unacceptable to him, and and I understand it. But I asked him at, at one point, Matt, could you be caught in between two philosophies? Mm-hmm. The philosophy John Maley left last year, and the conversation was, we want more contact, we want more usage of moving the ball, and you hear Joe talking about moving the ball all year long, from left center to line, right center, uh, have a two strike approach, have an approach where you choke up on the bat, have an approach where you hit the ball the other way. And therefore, goodbye, John Maley. Hello, Chili Davis. And, excuse me, for the first half, as Epstein points out, the the team was was number one in almost all the offensive categories except home runs. And for some reason, the second half, it fell off. So my question to Epstein was, could the team offensively, these young hitters, some even the, the more uh, long of two hitters, be caught in between philosophies? And I think that is absolutely the case. Jed Hoyer was on the station yesterday and expounded on this very thing by saying, look, not everyone wants a launch angle, wants everybody to be uh, a, you know, a, an uppercut guy where you hit the bottom of the baseball. And Jed doesn't want that. They do want some guys to hit for more contact, to spray it around. And Joe certainly wants that. It's a very tricky message to get across to guys yeah. that they have to be a mix of things. And you need a lineup that is full of, uh, of a mix of those guys, kind of players. Matt, these guys aren't that good. Well, that's they're, they're that, not that good. That's you know? certainly dovetailing with it is they, that they're now going to have to deal with the fact that some of these guys who they thought were going to be better than they but I mean, they are right now are not. Kyle they're Schwarber. not. Caught, they're not necessarily. Look, you look at the. Let's give a great example. I think, and you tell me if I'm wrong. Ben Zobris is a prime example of having intelligent at bats. You can see the mechanism grinding when he takes an at bat. He looks at the moment. He looks at what's necessary. Is it a fly ball? Is it a ground ball? Is it a bunt? Mm-hmm. Do I take a, a, a deeper bat here, try to work a walk? He is that good, okay? But he is more of an old-school approach that kind of like what Joe is looking for from this team this year. Now, there's no, there's not a lot of slugging in there. There's not a lot of home runs in there. But he'll drive it every once in he'll a while. He'll drive it, but, but you can't have eight guys – like Ben Zobris, as much as you'd like to have his approach every day. But what you'd like to have is either 
two or three guys like that in addition to your sluggers. Sure. Or ideally, somebody like Rizzo, who is a slugger. Combines the ball. The B-hack. Right. How much does Joe love, as you say, that you know choking up, that two-strike approach, let me make contact and do what I need to do. That Joe loves that. And I think they reacted very strongly, Bruce, to the way that they were gotten out a lot last year, which was that high fastball that folks were doing. And that is to counter the launch angle. So Joe and I think Chili really tried to counter that and change some of the approaches you're talking about. And you end up with a team that has the worst ground ball to fly ball ratio in baseball right. in the second half. And that's not what they want to be. Overall. Right. And, uh, you know, again, does Joe and Chili get thrown under the bus on this or do Epstein and Hoyer, uh, being the intelligent baseball men they have, take a step back and say, you know what, uh, we might be caught in between. Uh, some of the players might not be able to adjust. Is that coaching or is that uh, the fact that these players have come up with a certain style throughout the minor league system, throughout their college careers, whatever it was, and never had to adjust before? Right. So th- these are things that are are something they talk about and look at every day. We look at the end result of, hey, are they going to fire Chili Davis? Are they going to have a short leash on, leash on Joe going into 2019? Oh, those are the that's that's those are the end results to things that don't work out. In the meantime, uh, some of these players won't be with the Chicago Cubs. Next year. See, there you go. I, I I think that's the big part of it too that you just touched on right there. Which guys will go? Maybe they bring in a couple of hitters that are, are that have the approach that they want. Um, and instead of trying to teach some guys who are having trouble learning the balanced approach, he's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. It is inside the clubhouse. Lots to talk about. Bruce is there every day. I, I want to know what it's going to feel like, Bruce, with Joe Madden in a lame duck year. Uh, also, Tom Hamilton, the voice of the Indians on MLB playoffs at the bottom of the hour. Keep it here on 670 The Score. It is 670 The Score. It is inside the clubhouse. I am Matt Spiegel, and the longtime host of this show is Bruce Levine. I I am that. You are, right? I am. Every Saturday, I pretend to be that guy. A long, long-time co-host of this show, <laughs> and it's and it's fun having you uh, as a, a co-host now, Matt, because uh, you know I've I've been lucky to have great co-hosts here, and uh, certainly uh, Mike uh, Esposito is a lot of fun over the last three or four years. But uh, with you, uh, uh, the passion for baseball is certainly there. Your knowledge of baseball is certainly there. And uh, the the fact that we're not going to agree on everything and do it in a, a fun way is exciting to me. Good. Well, I appreciate that very much. No, me too. I enjoyed the conversation there to start the show. And we'll have a lot of them this offseason because the Cubs have a lot of difficult choices to make. A lot of different players a- we can talk about. As do the White Sox. That is, uh, they, they, that's true. It is uh Time for the Chicago White Sox to step up with that signature player, that signature free agent. You think is, so? Time is, is right it now? going to be Kershaw? Is it going to be Manny Machado? Uh, will the Chicago White Sox, and, and certainly Kershaw at age, what, 31? Uh, probably not the fit that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. But Machado, if you remember uh, last winter, the, the rumblings about Manny Machado first started with the Chicago White Sox well, and a trade there. You just signed Tim Anderson to a shortstop deal, and he had a very nice year progressing, one of the few bright spots on the big league roster. Machado wants to play shortstop. You give it. You give I, that I think job you let him, him do whatever he wants. 
You might find another spot for Tim Anderson. Well, what you're describing is the kind of Jason Wirth style signing, like when the Nationals said, we are for real, we're ready, and they gave Jason Wirth a ton of money, and it was before they were good enough to win. It's, it's, it's interesting. I'm, uh, I'm not sure if the, – the thing that makes it interesting is that the list of free agents is so deep and so vast in this offseason that if you are, if you go just a little bit down the list from the Machados and Harpers of the world, you might get a bargain towards the bottom half of that list. You, you might, uh, but I would prefer seeing a 27-year-old superstar on the south side of Chicago leading the way with the rest of those young people coming through. You, you're going to need on-field leadership, okay? Do you see it out there right now? Jose Abreu, in the last year of a contract, in 2019 is he coming back at age 33 after that my my uh, my thoughts are no mm-hmm. or if he does it's for a couple of years is that the leader that you have going forward or is it a Manny Machado who's already built up 7 years in the game and is a 27-year-old superstar for the complete year of 2019. Pretty cool moment last night. Machado hit a home run that was caught by a kid there at Dodgers Stadium. And the kid was just over the moon, bouncing and jumping, going crazy. And then after the game, and there's video of it on MLB.com, the Dodgers brought that kid to come and meet Machado, and he signed the home run ball. And one of several feel-good stories uh, working their way around. Did the he big promise right to now. hit two more out uh, in the next game? I, I didn't have the audio on okay. as, as I watched the video, so I cannot confirm or deny that fact. Three one two six four four six seven six seven. We're going to talk to the voice of the Cleveland Indians, our good friend Tom Hamilton. As a matter of fact, Matt, we're ready to go. the The voice of Cleveland Indians for ever and one of our good friends tom hamilton joins us on inside the clubhouse good morning tom well thank you for the kind words bruce good to be with you. well you know uh whenever you're on we we get people that are surprised and amazed who, who don't get the uh the package and and can't pick up your station uh on their regular am uh, dial how how good you are and how interesting you are as a guest and i guess uh, that that is our uh, that's our benefit when we have you on. Well, so. thank you. That's very kind. Uh, yesterday, Corey Kluber. Um, is it something that we forget about Tom? The fact that this is the thirty third or thirty fourth start of the season for a lot of these starting pitchers, and we're not getting optimum amount out of a starting pitcher in October. Yeah, um, it's a good point, Bruce. I think. Um, there's a couple of ways, you know, to look at it. I mean, in, in 2016, I, you know, it didn't seem to be an issue for Corey really until Game 7. Um, I think in that World Series in 2016, by the time the Indians got to Games 6 and 7, um, their pitching staff was exhausted, and it was more of a byproduct of they really only had two starting pitchers for most of the playoff in uh, Kluber and Tomlin. And so the bullpen was used so extensively that it finally caught up to them in that World Series, plus the fact that the Cubs were really, really good. Um, You know, Corey's had a tremendous year, and sure, there's got to be some fatigue at this point of the year, as you point out. Um, And also, Corey, you know, is in its third straight year of postseason. You know, people never... Um, look at sometimes how that accumulation of postseason innings can have an impact on pitchers, be it bullpen guys or starters, when you're in the playoffs year after year. And, you know, Corey has, 
you know, battled mechanical issues this year. He, he got off to such a great start, then had the, the sore right knee that led to some mechanical issues where to compensate for that knee, he kind of started to collapse on the backside and his arm angle changed and his pitches flattened out. That's why he had a shot uh, during the All-Star break and, you know, had about a week and a half off. And, you know, he's been fighting through that all season long. And, you know, the problem with playing Houston is that I think they're the best team in baseball. And uh, I just feel like if, if you don't bring your A game to this ballpark and that lineup, they'll make you pay. And they did. I mean, for three innings, Corey didn't miss his spots. But to me, he didn't have the same kind of life um, on his ball yesterday that we have seen. And when Corey walks two batters and hits two batters, Hmm. Bruce, I mean, that's noteworthy. He had walked um, the same number of hitters this year as he had had starts. So that tells you if his command was off yesterday. Yeah, that's that's a tremendous stat right there. Yeah, and and so, you know, and you don't get away with it against a team the caliber of Houston. You don't get away with mistakes in October. You're not playing bad teams anymore. You're playing the best of the best. He is Tom Hamilton, the voice of the Cleveland Indians. Tom, Matt Spiegel here, Bruce's co-host. Love your work and have for a long, long time. Uh, And, you know, there's Trevor Bauer with an inning of relief yesterday. That wasn't the dream a couple of months ago. It's going to be Carlos Carrasco today, Mike Clevenger in Game 3. So that's awkward in and of itself. Does Bauer have a chance to start at any time here? Is he strictly a bullpen guy? Yeah, another good point in question, Matt. Um, It's not Trevor's wish either. He, he, He wants to be starting right now. But, you know, ever since Jose Abreu drilled that ankle with that line drive, you know, in the middle of August, you know, Trevor was out for six weeks with that stress fracture and had three appearances on the major league level after coming off the DL being out six weeks. There were no minor league games to go and pitch in anymore. And so, you know, he's not the same guy he was before that injury either. Uh, Trevor may dispute that, but you, all you have to do is watch him. And um, yesterday, to me, he, he hung breaking balls and, and paid a price. They really felt like he could be even a bigger weapon for them out of the bullpen um, than saving him for game four. Now, anything is possible, Matt. A lot of what happens, first off, you have to get to a game four, and that's been their point with Trevor Bauer. He may be more valuable to them, at least in this round, coming out of the bullpen, but um, you know, you've got to be able to use him. They didn't want to use him in a game where they were getting beat, but they also didn't want him to sit around for 10 days without pitching again. So I, I think it's also a reflection on the Indians' question marks with their bullpen. You know, Cody right. Allen has not had the Cody Allen year of past, and I think the six years that he has pitched has caught up to him a little bit, and he gave up a home run yesterday. If the bullpen were as locked down as it was two years ago, then Trevor Bauer wouldn't be in it. Tom, you're using, you know, uh, Tito uses Allen in the uh, in the fifth inning or the sixth inning. Um, what is, who who is the closer right now, if not Allen? And uh, what are what are they looking at as far as trying to bridge these games? Does Tito manage any differently now in the playoffs with uh, the uh, you know the closer coming mm-hmm. in earlier and and other other people just having to clean it up? Yeah, you really have to, uh, Bruce, especially in a best-of-five. And I think Tito, again, showed that two years ago, his ability to think outside the box and not worry about being second-guessed. 
He's going to do whatever he can to win today. Now, as Tito said, the fine line you walk as a manager is if you go all out in a game that you can't win and now it impacts you the next day, well, then that's bad managing. And so, you know, in a perfect scenario, um, it would be Brad Hand closing in the ninth inning, and you've got Andrew Miller. And, again, quite frankly, the way the bullpen is set up right now, who's ever going well is going to get a chance to close. As Tito said, you try to find your hot relievers in the postseason and, and ride them. And so, you know, with Cody Allen and Andrew Miller and Brad Hand, you've had three guys that are capable of closing. You don't have to label one the closer like maybe you do in New York with Aroldis Chapman. So, you know, it would be a case, too, guys, that say, for instance, the Indians had the lead, and I don't know if it'll be today, but uh, since he pitched yesterday, but Trevor says he can pitch every day, but say you had the lead and you brought Trevor Bauer in in the seventh inning today, and if he's just dominating him, Tito said he'll stick with him and let him finish the game. So there is no hard, fast blueprint. Tito will manage these games as the game unfolds, and you know he's got a bullpen that's flexible and willing to adapt to different roles. You, you just have to have the lead. I, I think we have seen that in every playoff game now, guys. I mean, Matt and Bruce, you guys have seen it. Nobody left in the playoffs has bad bullpens. No. You're just not going to see many teams come from behind and win games in the eighth and ninth innings against these bullpens. You know who's got the worst bullpen of the bunch left is probably Boston, which is which is uh, yeah. I- ironic. Yeah, and, and that's not too bad when Kimbrough's your last guy. Right, well, but it's, yeah. it's, get, it's getting to him, though, which is the issue. You, you mentioned uh, Terry Francona, uh, obviously, as we're talking about him. Um, some Cub fans have manager envy. Hell, some Cub uh, employees have manager envy when it comes to Terry Francona. He has everything in the bag, right? Like, he, he has been fiery and lit these guys up from time to time, in addition to uh, being able to be calm and positive along the way. Especially last year, I thought Francona had a great year. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I, I think Matt, he's as good as any manager I've certainly been around. And we've had some good managers uh, here in Cleveland, and, and plus you're exposed to other managers around the major leagues. Um, you know, I, I think it's hard when you start trying to say this guy's the best ever or whatnot. Hey, at the end of the day, you know, if you have plow horses, um, you can be the best manager in baseball and, and you'll never win five or half your games. So you better have thoroughbreds because they still make a good manager a great manager. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's a better manager in the game uh, than Tito. I felt that way for Joe Madden. I mean, what he has done, and I know Cub fans have been up in arms, but my goodness gracious, um, did Cub fans ever think 20 years ago they'd be complaining about going to the playoffs, whatever it is, three, four, four years, four years, years in, in, a in a row? row. First, first time ever. Row. Good problems, Tom. Yeah, first time in uh, the franchise history. Not too bad. Hey, Tom, uh, is the advent of the bullpen something that is going to be prevalent that we see for the next 10 years or when some of these guys start breaking down uh i mean look the brewers have thrown 18 innings in two postseason games and 12 of them have come from Mm -hmm. the bullpen they started a bullpen guy they had a whole bullpen day in their first game unprecedented uh is this going to catch up to major league baseball when they start running out of 95 to 100 mile an hour arms and they realize boy, we better get back to getting uh, six or seven innings out of our starters. Boy, Bruce, again, um, 
these are really great questions, and and I obviously am not smart enough, you know, with yes, the analytics yes, and everything. Are. But You're... I think at the end of the day, you know, we always try to reinvent this game. But at the end of the day, doesn't it normally come back to what has been going on for 118 years in regards to the Indians' history? I mean, um, you still have to have guys that can start and, and cover innings. I mean, there, there's no way. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. And, and again, I'm not trying to point the finger that this is the reason why. But in October of 2016, Cody Allen and Andrew Miller, and this doesn't even include Brian Shaw, but they covered 33 innings in that October out of the bullpen. You know, yeah, that, that's, that's and those are all high-leverage innings, you know, where every pitch could swing a series. So I think it does have an impact on these guys. I, you know, I, I love watching the Brewers and Josh Hader. We got to play them four times this year. But how long is his career going to be? I, I don't know because – you know, we talk about it year in and year out. The most consistent thing about a ball club every year is the inconsistencies of its bullpen. Right. It is hard to find what the Indians had. Brian Shaw, five years in a row, 75 games a year. Cody Allen's completing his sixth year with the Indians where he's averaged roughly 70 appearances uh, a unbelievable. year. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, and that these are guys that are being used in the back end of games. But, uh, Tom, what you're pointing out is – is it's not sustainable for that to be the standard. I don't I don't I don't see how it is, Bruce, because most teams will tell you the most unpredictable thing and the toughest thing for them to do is build a bullpen year to year. Now if you're asking that bullpen to do what Tampa did this year, I thought it was a great story this year. I thought it was ingenious how they made it work. I don't think it can be sustained long term. No, but you know, again, um I'm probably the wrong guy to ask, but I I think we're devaluing starting pitching too much, and once you have it, I mean, that's what makes, in my mind, Houston the best team that the Indians will face. You have the two best starting rotations in the game going head-to-head in this series, and, you know, there's a reason why their bullpens have had question marks, but they've been able to overcome it because their starting pitchers cover more innings than any other two rotations in baseball. Tom, it's a pleasure to talk to you. It's Francona's fault. He did this in the playoffs with those <laughs> with those guys, and then yeah. every other team is like, oh, we should do that too, yeah. even if they don't have the horses they try. Well, I, don't, I don't know if he invented that, Tom. Uh, you know, certainly you go back to... Blame uh, the drone. Yeah, bl- <laughs> blame the drone, but the Royals won uh, two American League yep. championships and a World Series seven, eight, nine. the same way. Right. Tom, again, their bullpens couldn't withstand more than two or three years of that. that. That's true. Tom, always a pleasure. Keep up the great work. We'll be listening today. Uh, your broadcasts are just so much fun with well, so much great energy that it's just a joy to listen to. Well, the feeling is mutual, Bruce and Matt. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a privilege. All right. The great Tom Hamilton. The Indians voice uh, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. You get people from all over the walk of baseball here on a weekly basis, but you are the king on Inside the Clubhouse at 312-644-6767. You can join the fun with Matt and I. Text Matt at 67011. Some great stuff on the text lines about Kyle Schwarber and other Cubs in response to our conversation. We'll read some of those and talk to you guys next on Inside the Clubhouse uh, from the Chicago Wolves Update Studio. The Chicago Wolves opened their 25th anniversary season on Saturday, October 13th at Allstate Arena with rolled-back concession prices and free parking presented by your Chicago 
Chicagoland Northwest Indiana Kia dealers. Visit ChicagoWolves.com for tickets. And the bottom of the hour was brought to you by Camp Land RV. It's the fall festival at Camp Land RV, Saturday, October 6th. Enjoy great deals on all RVs, new and used, plus family activities all day long. Doors open at 8.30 a.m. Camp Land RV, RV buying made easy. Just a short drive off I-94 in Burns Harbor, Indiana. We'll be right back on The Score. Welcome back in on The Score. It's inside the clubhouse. This show is podcasted every week on The Score's podcast page. Look for Inside the Clubhouse. Texter says about Kyle Schwarber. Schwarber this year, Bruce, his walk rate went up. His strikeout rate went down. He was top 30 in MLB in isolated power. Top 40 in on-base percentage. He had a 3.2 F war, that's wins above replacement according to fan graphs, and made himself into a respectable left fielder. And I agree with that, by the way. I don't know what more the Cubs brass is expecting oh, that, of him. That's ridiculous. I mean, 60 RBIs from Kyle Schwarber, sorry, that's not enough, okay? So you can take all the numbers, bunch them in, make them you know, work for you. Sure, he, he had a better year than last year, but... When you hit 26 home runs and you drive in 60, how, how many runs do you think he drove in last year? Same. 59 runs. How many home runs did he have last year? More, I think. Yeah, 30. Yeah. So other than batting average being up, walks being slightly up. Now, walks, and this can be debated and it can be also inst- shown statistically, walks for a guy that doesn't that, that can't run, Extremely overrated. Okay, it's and many times a wasted at bat because you're not you're going to take Ooh, it's going to take it's going to take two hits to score you. I, I well I, I I don't agree that it's a wasted at bat at all. But it, but it is. You're passing the baton for a guy that's of lesser ability to drive in runs than you are. Well, and this lineup was not deep enough to right. to produce. So so was, those guys. was it the lineup? The, the fact that Schwarber didn't drive in more runs, or the fact that he was just not as productive as they need him to be. Well, we'll I'm dis- not saying he didn't improve. We'll, we'll disagree there in terms in he, terms of the of, of the walks. But, well, but you, I, you I, think any walks a good walk? No, uh, no, not necessarily. But I think well, you know guys 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 who are you know Frank Thomas battled that for years. Ted Williams battled that his entire career. That where people would say, hey, "What are you doing? What are you doing walking?" I mean, it, it, like I don't think it in itself is a negative by any stretch. Yeah, it's it's but to me, pad, padding your numbers is not always indicative of, of being a winning player. Well, I, I think they have wanted more from Schwarber because they kept talking about him as a hitter. You know, he's a hitter. He's, you, he's more than a slugger. He's more than a slugger. 500 at bats, you're going to have to you're going to have drive in more than 60 runs. I think they are disappointed in him. Yeah. yeah. Now, Don't you think? Now, to his, on his side, there weren't a lot of people to drive in, okay, especially in the second half. There was just not a lot of middle-order guys to drive in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again... Uh, I I love Kyle Schwarber. I think that ideally he's a thirty five hundred RBI guy. But does has he gotten there yet? No, he hasn't gotten there yet. My, there, my, there's still there's still needed growth there. My big issue with Schwarber is that he is not a guy who will make contact when it's a contact situation. He's just not. He, he has proven not to be a guy who will adjust and with two strikes or in a big situation, change up a little bit and try to make some contact, move the baseball, keep things going to the point that they didn't even go to right. him. I didn't even go to him in game 163, for, went to for, Hayward instead. Matt, for people that think I don't like him, I would hate to see them trade him because power bats from the left side, natural power bats like Kyle Schwarber, 
hard to find, and once you give them up, hard to get again. You know, very difficult to find. So I'm all for the continued player development of Kyle Schwarber. Mm. I'm just not calling this the type of season that I would say is uh, indicative of what the Cubs expect. Let's quickly talk to Terry in Houston before we take a break on the score. What's up, Terry? How are you? Hi, how are you doing? Very good. Good. Listen, uh, it seems to me uh, Joe put his uh, finger on uh, the problem at the end of the season when he claimed in the last games, we need to score early and get the lead. We led the league in the number of come-from-behind victories all season, yet at the end we ran out of gas. It was unreplaceable, so we ought to go back to the 2016 season with Dexter at the top, get on base early. We got buried into their bullpens in the fourth and fifth inning. We took the lead early, and we glided into the victory channel in the uh, end of the season. I think it'd be great if you had a true leadoff hitter. There's not many around baseball. Well, you know what? Uh, Matt and I did some numbers for you, and believe it or not, the Chicago Cubs led the National League in on-base percentage by their leadoff hitters, 366 in 2018, second in baseball, yep. uh, only to the Yankees, was Red, it? Red Sox. Red Sox, Red Sox with Mookie, and Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts. So, uh, the, as Theo pointed out in his 71 minutes of conversation the other day, uh, leadoff spot's not our number one problem, but athleticism uh, could be a problem for the Cubs. Uh, are they too? Are they too uh, too concerned with slug and uh, on base percentage? Less concerned with the athleticism that they might need in that lineup. Something to discuss. Three one two six four four six seven six seven. Come back with our segment on Addison Russell. Should he stay or should he go? Next on the score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.